0: So glad that you're here tonight to worship with us. Will you stand with us tonight? Let's praise him tonight with a new song. Learn this with us.
1: Come on. Yeah, he is worthy. He is worthy of our worship tonight. He is. Hey, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with anger, codependency, and depression. And my name is David. David. And that's my Celebrate Recovery intro because I work with Celebrate Recovery as the worship leader down at Fellowship Fayetteville. And it's just a privilege to be With you at Mosaic tonight, you guys invest so much in the heart of Celebrate Recovery. And we thank you for that. And we hope that you'll come and check us out either at Rogers or Fayetteville on Friday nights. If you're here for the first time tonight, we would love to just invite you to connect with us. On the screen are ways that you can get connected. And we can give you more information about how Mosaic can help you get plugged into the body of Christ. And we love the fact that you are here tonight. So we hope you'll do that. If you are a female... We're having a women's night of worship, and I will not be there. I want to be, but it's for ladies, and it's, ro- I mean, it's, it's not just Rogers. It's fellowship-wide, and so on May 10th, 7 o'clock p.m., right here in this worship center, a sweet night of worship for all of you ladies, and so we hope that you'll put that on your calendar and join in that time of just sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping and adoring him, all right? So we hope you'll take part in that. And then... I think there's one. Oh, I know what it is. It's very important. On this uh, stage tonight, as a matter of fact, why don't you have a seat? Because we're going to show you something. Uh, on this seat, uh, we are all connected with a camp that's been involved on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota for the past few years. And we started the Lakota Arts Camp a few years ago where we teach uh, guitar and strings and also do some other arts projects. And this has become just a key part of us being able just to love people in Jesus' name. And uh, we want to just let you know what's going on this year. So if you'll watch the screen, you'll fill in. we'll fill you in more on that. Since 2010, Fellowship has been sending a team to the Rosebud Lakota Sioux Reservation in South Dakota, focusing on the objective of breaking barriers and building bridges promoting healing between native and non-native people and attempting to provide authentic friendships that are respectful of our cultural differences. Through partnering with local ministries and outreaches, we demonstrate our faith in a way that is culturally appropriate while serving, supporting and strengthening the tribe with programs that assist their current needs. One of those partnerships is with the Sachangu Lakota Youth Center. One of the outreaches of the youth center is music education Students who learn to play a musical instrument are more likely to complete high school and less likely to commit suicide, leading us to launch an arts camp focused on teaching students how to play guitar, violin, cello, and bass, along with participation in drama and visual arts projects.
2: This will be my third trip to the Rosebud Reservation. We were simply there to be the light of Christ for them while teaching their kids how to play instruments and how to express themselves through the love of music. Some of the most incredible life-changing moments happen when those students start to open up. I specifically run the room that teaches violin. We teach them the basic concepts of the instrument, and by the time the week's over, we put on a little concert. They get to play for their families, and it's emotional, it's joyous, and it's just an incredible experience to witness.
1: The team will be returning to Rosebud Reservation June 18th through 25th to help with the arts camp and do service projects with another ministry partner, the Tree of Life Ministry Center. To prepare for the trip, the team is seeking instrument donations of any kind, especially guitars and other stringed instruments, from violins to ukuleles. We're also very interested in taking band instruments for the high school along with keyboards new and used so no matter the condition we'll take your old instruments stuck under the bed in the attic or in the closet behind all your clothes we want them instruments can be left at the celebrate recovery office on the rogers campus or in the sound booths in the back of the worship centers in bentonville rogers or fayetteville and if you need more information contact david atterbury
2: I wasn't expecting such a huge cultural difference because we weren't leaving the borders of the United States. Every time I've gone, there's been a little more that they've given me, and and a little more that they've shared with me, and so it's something I want to keep going back for because I can't get enough of their stories.
1: And we're going back, and we would love for some of you to go with us. We still, still need some people on our team, especially to help us in teaching violin and guitar as well. So if you'd like to talk to me afterward, I would love to tell you more information about that. But we are serious. We don't care how badly abused your instruments are at home. If they're taking up space, we want them, okay? And uh, so, again, you can see me afterward about that, or, again, drop off instruments at the CR office during the week, and we would uh, greatly appreciate that. Well, let's stand together and let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the fact that you love every tribe, nation, tongue, and your heart is for every nation and language and people. And the native nations in our nation, Lord, they they are some of the most uh, neglected of people groups. And we just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And in the broader perspective is mosaic we want to be the hands and feet of jesus here in northwest arkansas and the world so tonight lord as we focus our hearts and minds on you keep that vision ever before us that it's not just about what i'm getting out of this but as i am poured into tonight how can i overflow later when i leave to be a blessing to others and we thank you for the love that you've shed in our hearts tonight and we lift our praise to you in return in jesus name Amen.
0: would you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a heart of gratitude, to give you a heart of generosity as we continue in worship with our offering tonight?
3: to you tonight from John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is my command, love each other. You may be seated.
4: Of the Lord. You can take a seat. Good evening. Oh, it is good to be with you tonight. Hey, so we, are, we have come to the last of our seven I am statements in this study of the Gospel of John. Now, just to remind you, there's kind of three parts to the series. We're starting with seven I am statements, seven things that Jesus said about who he is to help us know him better. And then we're going to look at seven signs that Jesus performed, seven miraculous signs that point to who he is. And then we're going to conclude with seven encounters, seven conversations that Jesus had with individuals where you see him one-on-one connecting with people in a way that ex- explains more of how who he is meets people where they are. So we reach this last of our seven I Am statements, and, and we get this idea that Jesus makes a comparison of himself to a vine. He says, I'm the true vine. And so in John chapter 15, when Jesus brings this up, he is, he's bringing up a, a metaphor and an image that would have been immediately recognizable to the people around him. Um, these were people that, that lived around vineyards. In fact, we have some pictures here from, from Israel today because this continues to be a, a regular export for the people of Israel. That They grow grapes and make wine. And you, you would see these vineyards on, on, all over every hill. In fact, later in, uh, in chapter 18 of John, when it's, it's gonna say that on their way to Gethsemane, the disciples are gonna cross what's called the Kidron Valley, and all along that bank, on one side would have been an olive grove, but over on the other side would have been vineyards. So this would have been a regular site for them, something really familiar. Um, side note, just a promotional moment here. Um, if you have ever wanted to see Israel, to see the land, we are actually gonna be taking a trip. My wife and I are gonna get to lead a trip this November to go to Israel and spend 10 days uh, going through the land, studying God's word there. And if that's something that would interest you, we would love you to join us on that trip. Um, So we actually have a separate email set up for us, just Israel at fellowshipnwa.org. If you want information, shoot us an email there. But it it was really a powerful thing for us to be able to walk the steps of these places that we're talking about and and see how all of this played out. And so when, when Jesus brings up this vineyard metaphor, he's pointing to something that had immediate um, recognition for his disciples. But we're going to have to walk through it a little bit to understand what significance are we supposed to take from Jesus calling himself the vine. In John 15, verse 1, he says, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. So this is one of the few of the I am statements where we actually get it unpacked even further and the father gets identified as a character in this little metaphor. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What is Jesus doing here? He's going to unpack what all these things refer to and what it means to the disciples. But I think before we do that, we need to know what's happening in John chapter 15. Okay, In the Gospel of John, we've been jumping all over the place looking at different statements. But there's actually a flow to the story in John. We have this prologue in chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, that explains in grand poetic terms who Jesus is. And then in 1 chapter 19, we launch right into the actual story of Jesus. And one nineteen 19, all the way through the end of 12, is the story of Jesus' public ministry. That's where he's out teaching, he's doing miracles, he's doing things for all to see. And then there's a turn in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, verse 1 we begin what we often call the upper room discourse or the upper room conversation. It's where Jesus gathered his disciples for the night before he was gonna be crucified to have dinner with them. Now, think about this in the significance of John's gospel. You get chapters one to 12, about 12 chapters, that sums up his entire public ministry. And then chapters 13 to 17, five chapters, that is one conversation. It is recording one conversation that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he died. Do you think that might tell us there's something significant going on in this conversation? And the theme of the conversation is this. Will Blanchard pointed us to it a little bit last week when he talked about the him. he's going somewhere and he tells them don't be troubled. You remember that? What the whole conversation is, is Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's about to no longer physically be with them. And I think the topic of conversation for all five of those chapters is, what does it look like for the disciples to follow Jesus when Jesus isn't there anymore? That's actually a really crucial conversation for us to have. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but oftentimes I hear the stories about the disciples. Call. I was listening to um, something just today. I was listening to an audio book on a drive back in and. They were talking about how, okay, so Peter's out in his boat and, and Jesus says, come follow me. And he drops his nuts and he goes and follows Jesus. And I go, that's so concrete and clear. When following Jesus means Jesus is right there so I just actually walk where he walks out of the camera for our live stream. Um, like that was, that was really, really clear when Jesus was physically on earth and following him just meant walk where he walks. And if Jesus goes to Capernaum, then you know what being a good Jesus follower meant? You go to Capernaum. It was all really straightforward. He was physically there showing them what to do the entire way. So when they say, Jesus, we want to know how to pray, guess what happens? He goes, okay, great, I'll teach you. And they prayed with Jesus. Have you ever wished following Jesus looked like that? Sometimes I think it would be so much easier. And yet Jesus knows that part of the Father's plan is for him to leave the earth after he's been resurrected and reigned from heaven, and for for both his 12 that were with him and all the followers of Jesus to come after would be following Christ even when Christ was not physically here walking with us. And I believe that this entire what we call the upper room discourse, John chapters 13 to 17, Is Jesus explaining to the disciples what following him looks like when he's not physically there anymore? And so that's the context of what's going on here in John chapter 15. And there's one other crucial detail to notice in John chapter 15. At the beginning of 13, all the disciples are together. That's where we have the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And then, near the end of 13, Judas leaves to go make the arrangement to betray Jesus. So in John 15, Judas is no longer there. That's going to be crucial for what comes up in verse 3. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This word clean is actually one that he used back in chapter 13 when he's washing their feet. Jesus, he's washing their feet, and he makes this metaphor out of cleansing. And... In the moment, we don't have time to go look at the whole story, but Peter's like, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Peter says, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have anything to do with me. And Peter says, fine, then give me a whole bath in typical Peter enthusiasm. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You've already had a bath. You're already clean. Well, not all of you are clean. And that's the moment he looks at Judas and says, it's time for you to go do what you're going to do. So, Jesus has already to this idea that the disciples, those who follow him, have already been cleansed. Meaning, they're followers of Jesus. They've placed their trust in him. So Jesus, in verse 3, acknowledges, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Verse 4, now remain in me. As I remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What is Jesus' topic here? Jesus is speaking to a group of people who have already trusted him, who have already become Jesus followers, and he's talking about what it looks like to live life with Jesus as a Jesus follower. And he chooses this key word that the NIV translates as remain. Um, Other translations will say abide or stay. But the point is, you have placed yourself in me. Now I want you to stick with me. And and there's even more going on to this word. In fact, I think it's an echo of something that was said back in John chapter 14. Take a look at this. In John 14, uh, verse 23 Jesus says to them, we looked at this last week, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So in John chapter 14, Jesus promises to make a home with people who trust him. Now, we can't see this in English. Those words don't look very similar in English, do they? home and remain, you probably wouldn't be inclined to connect those at all. But the root word behind those is the same root. One is the noun and one is the verb. What does that mean? I know we're going like super Greek nerd train here for a minute, but trust me, this is gonna be worth the investment. We don't, we don't commonly use this kind of language, but we have some English equivalents that work. For example, we talk about dwelling somewhere and then we have a place that is our dwelling. Now, we don't say that very often. I don't say, hey, you wanna come over to our dwelling Friday night for dinner? Like, that's not our normal English way of saying that, but you can see how those two are connected. You dwell in the place that is your dwelling. A similar thing works with the word abide and the word abode, as in this is my humble abode. You abide in the place that is your abode. In Greek, that's what's happening here. What's the point? Jesus is saying, I'm gonna come make my dwelling with you So now you need to dwell with me. I'm going to make a home with you. So now you have to choose to live life with me. And we know there's a difference between having a home and choosing to live life there, right? I have a friend and a mentor who's a few years older than me. And so in parenting, they're like a step ahead of Cassie and I in age. And he made a comment to me not too long ago. He said, Nick, you don't become an empty nester when your kids move out. You become an empty nester when your kids start to drive. He said, because once they start to drive, they're gone. He said, they sleep in your house, they take food from your fridge, and they wash their clothes in your laundry machine, and that's it. Outside of that, they no longer dwell with you. And and I think a, a similar image is what's going on here. Jesus makes a home with everyone who trusts in him. And now that you have become someone who has a home with Jesus, he's saying now, If you want to experience transformation in your life, if you want to experience transformation, choose to dwell in that space I've created for us. Choose to live life with me. Now, notice earlier in verse two, he had said that a branch that is not dwelling with me, it's cast aside. I think he's acknowledging what's just happened with Judas. I think he's acknowledging that somebody who has been with us just left. And he's acknowledging the pain and the loss that's coming for Judas. But he says, for those of you who have trusted in me, you're going to have to dwell with me. And he brings up, this is the reason I think this this metaphor of the vine is so important. is because he's speaking to this reliance on Jesus for life. And that that is going to lead to what he calls bearing fruit. And the reason that's so important is that, Bearing fruit is the natural consequence for what happens when a healthy plant gets nutrients, right? Like that's what comes from a plant that is connected and getting what it needs. And this is the complete opposite of how I've imagined my relationship with Jesus being for most of my life. Let me tell you how I've always pictured I have pictured my relationship with Jesus being some kind of transaction that takes place. You know how a transaction works? A transaction is I have something you want, and you have something I want, so we work out a trade. Okay, so when I was a kid, I desperately wanted an ebony black Gibson Les Paul custom. That was the electric guitar of my dreams. And nine year olds don't have that kind of cash. But do you know who did have that kind of cash? My dad. So we had to work out a transaction. He had the money that I desperately wanted. And what did I have as a nine-year-old? Energy. So our transaction was that I would mow the lawn and he would give me money every week that I mowed the lawn. That was our deal. That was our transaction together. There was no natural connection between cash and mowing the lawn, right? Like mowing the lawn did not cause money to grow out of the grass. The natural result of cutting grass is what? Shorter grass. That's it. That's the only natural result. So for me to mow grass and get money out of it, that means a transaction has taken place. But there are other kinds of labor and energy that we do where the energy put into it actually naturally produces what we're wanting to get out of it. Okay, so my electric guitar dreams have not died, and I still live in envy of the like, smoking guitar players that play in these bands up here. And I want to be like them. But you know what I have not done? I've not put in the work that they have. I have this wonderful habit of like so many of my hobbies of getting just past the level of beginner. And I reach that point where I'm actually gonna have to create a disciplined daily habit to get really good. And that's when I move on to a new hobby. But you see, the natural fruit of disciplined practice is what? You get really good at something. The natural fruit of exercise is what? You get in shape. Okay, here's the issue. I, for so long, have viewed my walk with Jesus as a transaction. Jesus has the ability to bless me financially, the ability to make my relationships work, the ability to give me peace and joy in what I feel is anxiety. Jesus, I'm told from the Bible that Jesus has all this stuff that I really want. What do I have that Jesus wants? Well, in my little transactional equation, I go, I know what he really wants. He wants me to read my Bible for five minutes a day. And he wants me to pray to him for five minutes a day. So I imagine this transaction where I will sit down in the morning and I will start my stopwatch because I'm committed to being disciplined, but I know I'll get distracted if I don't start, start the stopwatch. And I'm going to read and then I'm going to talk to him for five minutes because that's as much as my attention span can handle. As if the infinite creator God of the universe is so desperate for my attention that he has to work out a transaction. Nick, if you'll sit and talk to me for five minutes, I'll give you peace today. And then in this transactional arrangement, what happens is when I fail to give God what I think he wants, with my Bible reading and my prayer, and maybe telling other people about my faith, evangelizing, serving well. I create all these lists of things that God wants from me in exchange for him blessing me. And when I fail to live up to the list of things that I think God wants from me, I then think I have failed to earn the blessing that I was looking to get from him. Here's the truth that Jesus has been laying down through his entire life the only transactional part of our faith took place on the cross. That's the place where Jesus said, I have infinite life and you're condemned to death, so we're gonna work out a transaction. You give me death and I'll give you life. That is the part of our faith that is transactional. And that part of our faith is done. The transaction took place on the cross and it was every bit of it generosity, grace, and the gift. The transaction is what took place on the cross, and that's what Jesus says, hey, you've already been cleansed. That's what he says to his disciples. Because of my word that works on you by faith, you've already been cleansed. That part has taken place. We're talking about something else now. We're talking about bearing fruit, and the way fruit works is that fruit is the natural byproduct when a plant is connected and gets the nutrients it needs. So what is Jesus saying? That peace and love and joy that he's gonna talk about in this passage is not some gift that Jesus is holding back for it from us until we give him what he wants. It's actually the natural result of life lived with him. That when you choose to connect with Jesus, When you choose to spend time with him, to remain with him, to live your life with him, you actually start changing. Being with Jesus changes you and transforms you so that it's not that he has something that he's going to give you when you are a good boy or girl. He is actually the thing you need. Knowing him, being with him is the source of life. That's what he's trying to tell the disciples in this moment. He says, you are like a branch that desperately needs to be fed and I am the vine that feeds you. And if you don't choose to dwell with me, if you don't choose to have a relational connection with me, you're gonna dry up. And I know for me personally, getting out of a transactional view of my time with Jesus is one of the most important shifts that I need to have happen. When I think about connecting with Jesus, I've got to, to break out of that mindset that says I give Jesus what he wants and he will give me what I want. And shift what Jesus is actually saying here, which is I am the thing that you need. I am the source of your life that changes and transforms you. So you're going to have to, if you want to experience what Jesus has, you're going to have to live life with Jesus. Pastor and author John Mark Comer says it this way. Comer says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience life the way Jesus meant it to be, you're going to have to live with him. And this is not because he is withholding. It's because he is the source of that life. It would be like me going to a trainer at a gym, paying him to train me and then never showing up for six months and coming back and saying, hey, I'm paying you monthly for you to get me in shape and I'm not getting in shape. And he goes, dude, you never showed up. I, I, can't, I can't transform you if you don't come spend time with me and, and do the work, right? Right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, the thing that transforms and changes you is time with me. If you want to have the life that Jesus offers, it requires a lifestyle that Jesus lived. And abiding, remaining in him. So he continues to unpack this in verse 5. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. That's intense. What does it mean? There's there's two ways this verse could be taken in verse 6. It could be looking back to what we saw earlier in verse 2, referring to someone like Judas. It could be just a reminder that those who are in Christ need ongoing life to experience joy with Christ. And those who are completely disconnected from Christ, who never have that life-giving relationship with Jesus, ultimately will wither and dry up, and there is judgment awaiting them. The other possibility is the image of fire and burning is used in the Bible, not just to talk about judgment, but also to talk about discipline for believers. And there are passages like in 2 Corinthians that says, that describes what God does in a believer's life as like a fire that burns away everything that's not from him. So this could be saying that for a believer that chooses not to stay connected with Jesus, there could be a time of almost fiery-like discipline to draw you back to him. Both of those statements are true of how God works. I'm not sure which one Jesus has in mind in verse six. It's a little puzzling to me, I'll be honest with you, but we can be confident what's not being described here is God throwing away one of his children because they haven't done a good job abiding. We know that because in John and many other places, but specifically in John, Jesus says, this is the will of my father that I lose none of those who have been given to me. So we can be confident what verse six doesn't mean is that there's something we could do that would cause Jesus to reject those of us who have faith in him. It's either referring to those who've never actually trusted in Jesus and started walking with him, or to a discipline that we go through. And then in verse 7, he unpacks a little bit more what does this remaining in him look like. In verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. What does remaining in Jesus look like? Well, part of it is that his word remains in us. And remember that word remain is this idea of taking up residence, of dwelling, of sitting with, of being with. Jesus is describing a scenario where his word takes up residence inside of us. What does that look like? This is so much more than simply reading and studying the Bible. You are never gonna hear me to tell anyone don't read and study your Bible. I really like the Bible, okay? Like really, really like it. But there is a danger, especially in a kind of more Western American intellectual type culture where we will spend a whole lot of time studying, reading to understand the Bible and never if you were digesting it. It's almost as if We go to the grocery store, get all the groceries, go home and prepare an amazing feast and set the table. And then right when the table's set, we go, okay, time to go to bed. And we go to sleep and leave the food sitting on the table uneaten. What does that look like? So many times in my life, I will study God's word. I will read it. I will wrestle with it. I will come to a place where I really think I understand what it's talking about. And I can even tell you this is what is significant about this passage for me. I can write it out in a little journal. This is what this passage means. And then I close the book and move on. What's missing in that equation? It's something that the biblical authors call meditation. And in case the word meditation freaks you out and sounds like super Eastern and weird, um, God thought of it first, okay? Okay. The psalmist David says, I meditate on your word day and night. What does that mean? This is not trying to get our minds completely wiped clear to a state of nothingness so that we can enter nirvana. Biblical meditation is actually taking God's words and turning them over in our mind. Ed Clowney said it this way. He was a pastor and president of Westminster Seminary. He said, meditation is knowing with the knower still involved. Meditation is what happens when you take God's words and you begin to turn them over and you begin to connect what the word of God says to what's happening in your life and you start to reflect on how would this change me? I don't know about you, but I'm awesome at meditating on bad things. I am awesome at when I have a conflict with a friend taking that conversation and replaying it in my mind over and over and over again, analyzing every single word and what that person meant and analyzing everything I said and how I could have said it differently. I'm awesome at dwelling on conversations and words that hurt me. I'm awesome at remembering hurtful things people have said and playing them over and over again. What Jesus is saying, that same process that we do with painful words, Jesus is saying, you need to do that with my words. You need to take my words and turn them over in your head. You need to take my words and let them get inside you. Like the same way that I can creatively imagine every way a conversation could have gone differently, what if I creatively imagine all of the implications of what God has said for my life? And I start to talk to him about that. And I start to connect with the Lord what he said in a Sermon on the Mount with a frustrating situation at work. And I start to talk to him about that. That's what happens when the word of God gets inside of us. And I think that is what remaining in dwelling with Jesus looks like, is when we begin to connect with him on such a personal level that our lives and his life and his Word start to come together. And so what we're gonna do tonight um, to close our time is we're actually going to practice biblical meditation together. We're gonna take just one phrase that Jesus says a few verses later that I think if if you take that phrase, it's one of the most shocking things Jesus said. Let's go ahead and jump to that last slide. Jesus says this, one more forward. He talks about the love that we experience and he says this, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Now, we don't have time to unpack the doctrine of the Trinity right now, but to talk about the eternal, infinite love of the Father for the Son, and then for Jesus to say, that the same way the Father loved me, I love you, that's a statement of the words of Jesus that should change everything for us. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a little time of, Of meditation. How many of you ever heard of the the Acts Prayer, A C T S, that you adore and you confess and you give thanks? And then the last word, because we had to make it work, is a little weird. It's supplication, which means you ask for God to supply your needs. One of the most powerful exercises I was given was to take that prayer and actually apply it to Scripture. And so we're going to practice together. So I'm going to ask you just to get comfortable and we're going to spend a few minutes meditating. On these words of Jesus, the Father has loved me, so I love you. So while you sit, take a minute to adore Jesus. In your own mind, your own prayer, what what do these words tell us about Jesus that's worthy of praise? And just tell him. Next, we practice confession. Where where do you need to be honest and real with God about how you've not been loving him and loving others well? What what does this verse stir up in you that you just need to be real with God about? Take a moment to tell him. The Father has loved Jesus, so has Jesus loved you. Take a moment to tell him thank you. Tell him thank you for his love. Now we ask for God to supply our needs. Where do you need the love of Jesus in your life? Like really tangibly, even this week. Where do you need to experience Christ's love? Tell him about that
1: and ask him for help.
4: What Jesus has given us is not some quick fix, It's not some magic ritual that is gonna give you blessing. He's actually given us a way to be transformed. And he says that if you wanna experience life, the life we we saw last week, he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you wanna experience the life of Jesus, you have to embrace a lifestyle of Jesus and a lifestyle with Jesus. So here's what I wanna invite us into this week. Really practical. What would it look like for you to set aside 10 minutes this week, every day, to do this? You've got a reading plan in those John journals that we all have. To Spend some time with the words of Jesus, but don't leave the meal on the table. Spend some time working through something that stands out to you in that reading, and adore the Lord. Confess to the Lord. Thank him and ask him to supply your needs from his word. And I don't know that Jesus is gonna change your life that day. You might spend your time with the Lord and then go to work and have an awful day at work. What Jesus is offering is a way to be transformed over a lifetime spent with him. So Lord, that's our prayer. We know that you are the true vine, you are the source of life and everything else that I try to fill me up whether it's trying to buy a new guitar, to be great at what I do in relationships, all of those vines run dry. But Lord, you are an infinite source of life. I don't need a transaction with you, I need you. So Lord, I pray this week that this church, this family of Jesus followers, Lord, that we would learn what it is to abide and to remain in you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.
5: For my way D-
1: Abiding in you, staying connected. dismisses just down front by the banners and they would love to pray for you in whatever needs that you may have and again we'd love for you to get connected with us there will be folks out in our info booth when you're leaving and so if you have any questions about Mosaic be sure to check in with them and they will answer those questions for you let's stand together Mosaic we go in peace to love and serve the Lord thanks be to God, amen, you're dismissed